I'm Kendall Giles, and this is the Techno Slipstream Podcast, where we help you navigate complex technologies and their impacts on society through analysis and critique. This is episode 29. So from reports of people being denied their desperately needed unemployment benefits because facial recognition technology that they were required to use suddenly stopped working, to TikTok's recommendation algorithms appearing to promote homophobic, anti-LGBTQ, and other far-right content, to medical devices and treatments that discriminate against non-white people and women, there is growing consensus and concern that engineering cultures and practices like Facebook's move fast and break things mantra are taking us in the wrong direction with technology in society. We've discussed many of these downstream effects of technology having unintended consequences when released into society in previous podcast episodes. But in today's episode, I wanted to focus more on the issues with the software engineering people, practices, and technologies currently used to create these flawed machine learning and artificial intelligence systems. We'll do this by doing a deep dive into the book Responsible Machine Learning by Patrick Hall, Navdeep Gill, and Benjamin Cox. Okay, let's dive in. Again, the authors of the book Responsible Machine Learning are Patrick Hall, Navdeep Gill, and Benjamin Cox. Patrick Hall is principal scientist at the law firm BNH.ai and is also a visiting professor in the Department of Decision Sciences at the George Washington University. Navdeep Gill is engineering lead for Responsible AI at H2O.ai, and Benjamin Cox is currently a principal at Ragnarok Research. Now, this book is more of a report. It's just five chapters with no index, but this short survey of the responsible machine learning field is packed with quite a lot of information. You'll need to dig elsewhere for more details, but luckily the book includes suggestions, links, and footnotes so you can continue learning about responsible machine learning when you finish the book. So you can think of this book as a guidebook for organizations that want to take their machine learning and artificial intelligence development efforts more seriously in terms of developing and producing products that are more fair, trustworthy, and secure. So let's begin by unpacking what we mean by responsible machine learning. In an ideal world, we would just be talking about machine learning. We wouldn't need the leading adjective responsible to let us know that the current traditional machine learning that we practice is done in a potentially non-responsible way. Increasingly, as the book notes, we are seeing more machine learning systems that fail because of black box mechanisms, social discrimination, security vulnerabilities, privacy harms, and the decay of system quality over time. This is troubling, as we've noted in previous podcast episodes, because machine learning, artificial intelligence, and automation are infusing infrastructures all around us. At a time when our society is becoming increasingly dependent on these systems, their potential for causing harm in society is likewise increasing. Responsible machine learning, therefore, is part of a growing movement bringing together multiple communities 
that have been working on improving this situation from different directions. Examples from different communities include efforts known as public interest technologies, ethical tech, responsible innovation, responsible tech, responsible AI, trust and safety, digital citizenship, and tech for good. The point is that because current machine learning systems are being designed that cause social harms, we therefore need a responsible effort to help us design systems that are safe, fair, ethical, and secure. So while there is no official definition of responsible machine learning, the book highlights Virginia Dignam's definition. Responsible artificial intelligence is about human responsibility for the development of intelligent systems along fundamental human principles and values to ensure human flourishing and well-being in a sustainable world. A number of companies and organizations have identified principles that fall under the responsible machine learning umbrella. Google, for example, has offered a list of responsible AI practices. And these names I'm mentioning, by the way, they're footnotes in the transcript, which you can find. I'll I'll provide a link at the end of the, the podcast. And the Institute for Ethical AI Machine Learning has identified eight principles for technologists to consider when designing machine learning systems. Each of these principles have been expanded and developed in more detail elsewhere, but just to give you an idea of some of the areas that developers should be considering, but currently do not, here are the eight principles. Human augmentation, bias evaluation, explainability by justification, reproducible operations, displacement strategy, practical accuracy, trust by privacy, and data risk awareness. So as you can see, there are quite a number of areas where current machine learning engineers, developers, and maintainers have been dropping the ball. And this guilty list also includes, of course, all the stakeholders, managers, company leaders, and vendors involved in specifying and funding these ML and AI systems. The authors of the book define a responsible AI Venn diagram that includes sub-areas of human-centered machine learning, compliance, ethical AI, secure AI, interpretable machine learning, and explainable AI. This covers quite a lot of conceptual ground, but hopefully you at least now have a better idea of what I'm putting in air quotes, responsible machine learning deals with. Though obviously you might not yet know how to do responsible machine learning. The authors therefore give a quick survey of some of the responsible machine learning approaches and solutions in the next three chapters of the book, covering three main problem areas in traditional machine learning, people, processes, and technology. And so we'll walk through those areas in this podcast episode. The first problem area with current designs and uses of machine learning is people. Right up front, the authors state their position that machine learning and artificial intelligence technologies are not yet mature. So we should not be trying to push for completely automated systems where the algorithms make all the decisions. Instead, they feel that humans should be left in the loop for machine learning and artificial intelligence decision-making. 
With that position, the authors present several factors and strategies organizations can use to make sure that people are doing the right things and have the right culture to design and implement successful and responsible machine learning systems. I won't step through all the points in the book, but I do want to highlight a few of the good ones. The first point related to people is accountability. Now, to explain this, let's first take an example from cybersecurity. It is common in better organizations today for there to be some sort of chief security officer role, someone in the organization who is responsible, i.e. can be held accountable for the physical and cybersecurity of that organization. Among other duties, this person is responsible for the development of a security policy the organization is to follow, creating an incident response plan to follow when there are security incidents, creating a plan for auditing the organization over time, and managing the staff to take care of and implement all of this. In other words, the chief security officer is the person in the organization who is accountable for the success or failure of security within the org. Yet, unfortunately, what is not common today is for there to be a similar role and effort behind the use of machine learning and artificial intelligence. If there is no chief ML AI officer, then it is likely the development and use of machine learning and artificial intelligence within that org will be haphazard, wasteful, and risky. With no accountability, then the risks for the org in terms of product failures, reputational harm, and lawsuits will be higher. A second point the book highlights as important is that of dog fooding, which means an organization should be willing to and actually use its own products. Not only would this help test the product and improve its quality, but by being willing to use the same product, platform, or service that's being sold to customers also helps as a due diligence check against an organization making questionable products and services. As stated in the book, if an organization has developed an ML system that operates in a manner that, say, violates their own privacy policies or is meant to be deceptive or manipulative, employees engaging in dogfooding might find this objectionable and raise concerns. Dogfooding can bring the golden rule into ML. If you wouldn't use an ML system on yourself, you probably should not use it on others. Again, there are more points in the book, but the last people point I'll talk about in this episode is that of the culture of moving fast and breaking things. We've discussed this pathological engineering culture in previous podcast episodes. Move fast and break things was Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg's infamous culture he developed for that company and which became standard, especially in high-tech industries in Silicon Valley. The problem with this culture, where the point is to, air quotes, innovate new products and dump them into the market as quickly as possible, is that there is no due diligence check on how or what things are done or even why they are done. If you're designing self-driving cars, surveillance systems, or AI sentencing guideline systems for judges, Moving fast and breaking things is the last culture you should want in your company when the lives of your customers are on the line. Organizations should start developing and using ML and AI governance structures to help put what I'm calling due diligence back into the organization. So while there are more people points in the book, 
that could help companies be more responsible with their machine learning efforts. Another area that organizations can do better with how they're designing these systems is that of processes. In other words, the traditional processes, steps, and workflows that companies use to develop software systems are flawed when applied to machine learning and artificial intelligence. And by the way, especially because for me, this hits close to home as a university professor teaching these processes, companies use these flawed processes, steps, and workflows because that's what universities traditionally train the engineers to use. So let's discuss a few points from the book. First, one of the main ways we currently engineer our machine learning algorithms that increases the likelihood the resulting systems will fail or produce inaccurate or possibly harmful results is by introducing bias during the system design and software engineering process. Bias in the context of machine learning means the algorithm produces systematically incorrect results for certain inputs to the algorithm. The issue of bias in machine learning systems is currently drawing a lot of attention. For example, a well-publicized example of bias in machine learning is that of the Compass software, where Compass means Correctional Offender Management Profiling for Alternative Sanctions. And this, this software system is used by federal judges to help them decide on the length of conviction sentences. The news publication ProPublica in 2016 analyzed how Compass calculated risk assessment scores for more than 7,000 individuals in Florida cases from 2013 to 2014 and found that Compass systematically rated black and white defendants differently in two significant ways. One, black defendants were likely to be falsely classified as high risk of committing future crimes at twice the rate as white defendants. And two, white defendants were falsely classified as low risk of committing future crimes more often than black defendants. Now, since these risk assessment scores provided by Compass impact the length of conviction sentences made by the judges, using the Compass system results in unfairly long sentences given to black defendants and unfairly short sentences to white defendants. This is what we mean by bias in machine learning and artificial intelligence. By design, the algorithm produces biased results that favor some groups and or harm for others. The book discusses five different ways bias can creep into the ML or AI system during the design process. One, how the engineers frame the problem to be solved by the algorithm. Two, how the data used to train the algorithm is cleaned and annotated. Three, using unrepresentative data to train the algorithm. Four, using data to train the algorithm correlated to demographic group membership that may reflect systematic inequalities. And five, using data to train the algorithm that encodes discrimination. And the problem with these ways, of course, is reflected in the common quote, garbage in, garbage out. Once bias is input into the system, the resulting outputs are no longer trustworthy. A second way our current software design and engineering processes are problematic involves privacy and security. Regarding privacy, to train machine learning algorithms, we need lots of data 
and lots of good data is difficult to get. Thus, due to lax standards and regulations, it's too tempting for companies and organizations to try to collect data that raises privacy concerns. In order to reduce the risk of using data that violates some privacy concern or law, the book suggests organizations should collect training data that has consent for use, a legal basis for collection, and alignment with the organization's privacy policy, appropriate anonymization requirements, and appropriate retention requirements. If your organization has a data breach, for example, and you've not done appropriate due diligence to respond to these sorts of privacy issues, then you just set yourself up for possible legal or regulatory ramifications. Regarding security, while organizations are thankfully starting to take securing their software, data, and organizational networks more seriously, this attention is largely lacking regarding their machine learning, algorithms, datasets, and software engineering workflows. The book highlights four primary security threats to machine learning software, models, and data. One, insider manipulation. Two, manipulation by external adversaries. Three, extraction of algorithm logic or data by external adversaries. And four, Trojans and third-party software or data. Thus, organizations increasingly need to take issues of privacy and security for their ML systems and software engineering processes seriously. Though more ways are discussed in the book, a third way, our current software design and engineering processes are problematic, involves something called AI incident response. To give you a way to think about AI incident response, let's again consider an example from cybersecurity, the Computer Security Incident Response Plan. Mature organizations have what are known as Computer Security Incident Response Plans. An important component for mitigating the risks due to computer security threats, the Chief Security Officer creates a Computer Security Incident Response Plan that guides the organization to ensure it has the capability to prepare for, detect, analyze, contain, eradicate, recover from, and learn from computer security incidents. In other words, there is someone in the organization who is responsible for how the company deals with computer security, and the computer security incident response plan is a critical component to that effort. Yet, ask yourself if your organization has an AI incident response plan. Is there a person in your organization responsible for how AI is used and how AI failures are handled? The book thus highlights the importance of AI incident response to improving software engineering processes and helping mitigate risks due to AI and ML failures. Now, after people and processes, the final major problem area with ML and AI technologies is the actual technology of machine learning and AI itself. Though the book has a more extensive discussion, I do want to mention two important aspects that need improvement in ML and AI systems, reproducibility and interpretability. Again, the underlying motivation is that because ML and AI systems are becoming more pervasive in society and are increasingly taking more of the decision-making roles in our lives, it is therefore important that we can trust these systems while at the same time mitigating risks in developing and deploying them. While in the pristine environments of the research lab, 
ML and AI engineers typically optimize their algorithms based on only one performance metric, such as maximizing classification accuracy or minimizing classification error. But in the real world, where these systems are deployed and used, other variables that the engineers typically do not consider, as we've seen, are equally, if not more important than just accuracy. Variables such as security, safety, bias, privacy, interpretability, and fairness. The organizational risks are increased and the trustworthiness of our systems are therefore decreased because we are not focusing on these variables with our engineering processes. As with the reproducibility crisis in science, the book mentions multiple reasons ML and AI engineers should improve the reproducibility of their modeling efforts to meet compliance or regulatory requirements, to help with model debugging, and to establish benchmarks in order to gauge system performance improvement or decline over time. For specific ways engineers could improve the reproducibility of their engineering efforts, the book suggests, one, keeping track of all metadata related to the deployed model, such as information about the training datasets, model training hyperparameters, random seed values used in training, model validation results, names of the humans in the model assessment validation and testing stages, and deployment details. Two, using version control to keep track of not only the code used, but also the datasets. And three, preserving information about the hardware and software environments used for model training, testing, and deployment. This one is especially important because many of the programming environments used by ML and AI developers are brittle due to constantly changing package, library, operating system, and language versions, leading to conflicts, build errors, and program crashes. Finally, once the engineers have ensured that they can reproduce the ML and AI models they deploy as another way to improve the trustworthiness of their systems, as well as mitigate risk, the book suggests engineers should focus on ways to improve the interpretability of the models and results. Now, to understand what we mean by interpretability, consider simple models like simple linear regression or decision trees. These simple models are understandable by the human user. Both of these models typically have just a few variables, only two in the case of simple linear regression. They can be drawn on a whiteboard, and even a medical doctor using these models can easily explain test results to a patient. On the other hand, popular deep learning neural network models can have thousands to millions to billions of variables and are so complex that even the engineers who created the models cannot explain how the model gave a particular result. For example, OpenAI's popular GPT-3 model has about 175 billion parameters. Each one of those parameters is like a knob that can be tweaked to give a different system result. These types of complex models are known as black box models because how the models make their decisions is not knowable. The engineer or user cannot see into the black box to understand how the model is working. They just input some data and out comes the result and they hope for the best. Thus, the medical doctor using a black box model would not be able to explain to a patient how or why the model gave a particular result. 
These black box models then are not interpretable, which, for example, has serious implications for high stakes finance, healthcare, military, and judiciary decision making algorithms. Now, model interpretability is not only important for improving the trustworthiness in the model's decisions, interpretability can also help engineers debug their model by helping them be able to understand why the model made a particular mistake. Interpretability can also help in understanding the usefulness of certain data features, can help assess model fairness and bias, and can help validate that the model meets certain regulatory compliance or legal requirements. Thus, model interpretability is becoming a big deal in ML and AI systems. I'll include in the podcast transcript a reference to an example article, and this one's from Nature, making the case for the importance of model interpretability. Unfortunately, traditional software engineering practices have tended to minimize, if not simply ignore, issues of interpretability. So we've got a lot of work ahead of us if we want to improve the way our ML and AI models are created. So there we are. From our deep dive into the book Responsible Machine Learning by Patrick Hall, Navdeep Gill, and Benjamin Cox, we've looked at problem areas in traditional machine learning and artificial intelligence development and implementation. In specific, we looked at problem areas with the people involved, the engineering processes used, and the technology itself. Hopefully, now you have a better understanding of what we mean by responsible machine learning. Machine learning teams, processes, and technologies that address the issues and problems we've discussed here today. And hopefully now you can see that there's a gap between machine learning as it is currently practiced and where we need to be if we want a better future for ourselves. So that brings us to the end of this podcast episode, which is the fifth in our current series of deep dives into taking a critical look at technology and society. You can see the complete series list over on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Kendall Giles. And you can also find their other writings and discussions, as well as podcast episode transcripts. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for listening. And until next time, I'll see you in the Techno Slipstream. <laughs>